Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. It is season four, episode two. We are doing an older movie. Uh, Chris, why don't you introduce the movie and our special guest for today's show? I'd be happy to. Thanks, Dan. I wanted to make sure at some point in the show, and we're now in the fourth season, uh, and it's kind of ridiculous that we haven't yet, because I think Dan and I both have a soft spot for this genre, the romantic comedy. Um, We uh, have kind of had our fair share of just like friend fights about various entries (laughs) in the genre, Um, but one that I don't think we've talked about yet, and that... uh, holds a weirdly special place in my heart is the movie we're doing today. It's called One Fine Day, back from one one nine nine six. Is that really what I was going to say? Yes. 1996, uh, starring Michelle Pfeiffer and George Clooney. Um, kind of forgotten, kind of not. Not as much as other 96 rom-coms, I'm sure, but definitely not like a, a staple in the genre by any means. But I did want to make sure to bring on a guest of a podcast I've been listening to recently uh, that delves exclusively into the rom-com genre. And so here's Michelle from Rom-Com Weekly. Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I'd love to hear about your podcast. Kind of give us uh, the lowdown on what you're doing in your podcast and what kind of episodes you've had recently. Yeah, sure. So um, my podcast is called Rom-Com Weekly. I usually release an episode once a week. That was the original goal, but I kind of set myself up for expectations when I named myself Rom-Com Weekly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... On my podcast, I usually have a guest on, usually a, a friend of mine that's, you know, just a lover, a fellow lover of rom-coms. And we dive into movies that are from the 90s to the present. So it's a long list, a pretty big library of rom-coms, good and bad and terrible. And for me, it's been really fun to revisit them as uh, living in 2021, now as a 30-something-year-old woman, as an Asian-American woman. Things have, you know, my eyes have been opened to many, many things, and it's hard but really fun to revisit a lot of these movies. What uh, What's a favorite uh, episode recently that you've done? I saw you did 27 Dresses. Yes. Oh, man. Which I didn't <laughs> listen to your episode yet. I love that movie. Am I, is that a good or bad thing? No, I, I, I think that I love 27 Dresses. It's a great movie. I think that movie came out in a very special time in my life also. You know, in the sense that I was also just starting to go to weddings regularly. So you kind of connect with characters when movies come out at a certain time. So, yeah, I I think Katherine Heigl is kind of underrated, to be honest. Oh, absolutely. She's (laughs) underrated. She's so good in that. Do you have, uh, is there like a worst rom-com that you've done episode? Oof. What would you think is your worst? Yes. Um... Don't get me wrong, they're bad, uh, but I still watch them and yeah. even sometimes multiple times because uh, they're just fun to watch. The Kissing Booth for me was... Oh, really? The oh, Netflix movie, that. right? The Kissing Booth Netflix film with Joey King, Jacob Elordi. Uh, it's an escape film, but I, I did not <laughs> enjoy that movie very much. <laughs> well, let's see where, where One Fine Day ends up. Yes. Uh, Chris, well, uh, I need more on why you chose this. I really do. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because this is a tough one. It It is. And I'll, I'll readily admit that. Um, but I thought that's why it would make for a good conversation. Because yeah. here's a movie. I was trying to think of like a good analogy while I was rewatching it last night for the first time in many years. And the and I was, uh, you know, kind of cozied up i couldn't even get my wife to rewatch this movie with me by the way so watch this by myself and i'm trying to think of like what 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 is it about this film that like drew it to me in the first place makes me excited to revisit it um but i was also like kind of uh covered up with a one of the like a blanket that's really comfortable but it doesn't quite cover your feet do you know what I mean? Or yeah. it's like, I like this blanket. I just wish it was a little longer. It was just like, it, it's, it's missing something, but you know, that's okay. And that's kind of how I feel about One Fine Day. It's, it's missing a lot of things. It's, it includes a lot of things that are completely superfluous, but also it just, it feels so comfortable and lived in. And I just am a sucker, I think, for the especially romantic movies that take place over a short period of time. I think that's really uh, fascinating to watch a film that's willing to take that risk of 
not only having a story but also casting the right actors that can make you think they have chemistry over the course of a sm- of a small time period like that and um and that's definitely how i felt and i also was doing like definitely some uh you know reflecting uh you know post being in therapy kind of thinking about like why as a kid i was drawn to this film because i definitely wasn't drawn to romance films as a young boy but i this one was like one of the only ones that was definitely a part of my like uh saturday afternoon tbs repertoire right and and it was i think largely it's personal i'm gonna go full reader response here and like i I grew up with a kind of workaholic single mom and uh it's a movie that you know has equal weight to both not equal but you know not unequal weight to um, both the kids and the parents and it very much uh tries to somewhat i'd say uh honor that kind of dynamic that is uh very difficult for both the parent and the kid and i don't think a lot of movies at least from the 90s anyways i'm sure there's movies from other decades that have done it much better um kramer versus kramer what have you but like that uh that dynamic of the 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 son and the single mom was probably a big factor for me personally and how did it how did it feel rewatching it like what was what kind of flooded emotionally what flooded it was it the good stuff bad stuff what what uh oh it was a it good go? old good old big uh some column a some column b stuff right yeah uh, i mean i really i i i'm still gonna completely uh defend uh michelle pfeiffer in a velociraptor t-shirt um all day long <laughs> uh what the hell costume designer anyways um like I, I think she's fan- fantastic. I'm definitely one of those uh, movie lovers, and I think it's almost like to a stereotype to a certain degree, where it's like Michelle Pfeiffer can do no wrong, and uh, I think it just fi- kind of finally clicked with me that like, yeah, I, I think I'm one of those, one of those people that truly thinks that. Like even in the really bad movies she's in, I think that she's magnetic, um, and I do think that George Clooney. Uh, I mean, this was kind of even though it was a flop and we'll get into that yeah. i think that there was there's definitely a um a weird charm to him uh and that was probably also like this person this you know personal uh um look back at my past where it's like he he definitely represented the ideal of like the 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 men my mom dated that were like absolute jerks but he turns out to be not so much a jerk in the end but all my mom's boyfriends just turned out to be jerks. Wait, wait. George <laughs> Clooney doesn't tr- turn out to be a jerk in the end of this? Well, he at least gives you that. It does the rom-com final act turn. Yeah. And f- uh, if any person can take that horrible character in that script and turn him into somebody that has like a softness to him, it's Clooney. Yeah. I, don't, I can't think of any other actor that would have been able to pull that off. But also, Tough. clearly it's open to interpretation whether or not you think he pulled it off. Yeah, it's that ultimate turn. Like, doesn't that like it doesn't work in like a movie like The Ugly Truth? You all remember Ooh, that God, one? Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's a rough one. It's rough, and like he can't pull that off. Gerard Bartlow can't pull that off because you're right. There is a certain sort of suaveness and charisma that you have to have in order to kind of be a jerk, uh, but kind of come across as sort of soft and warm at the end. Uh, Michelle, kind of, what's your history with this film? Have, did you see it, you know, long ago when it came out, or is this something a more recent watch for you? Um, I just before I answer your question, I just want to say thank you because this is a movie, and Chris, I agree with you. This is a special movie. I think like that doesn't really get a lot of love. And uh, I sorry to, to answer your question though is I saw this in theaters in 1996. Oh, I have nice. a very very specific memory, and that's not always the case for me with a lot of movies. Is that so for some personal history, if I may, is that I moved from Chicago to New Jersey exactly in 1996. And it was over the holidays. I think this movie came out in December of 96. And I met some family members that I didn't even know that I had. They were close to my age. And I think the parents wanted to hang out. So they kind of pushed all of us kids out to the movies. And mm. for some reason, one of us chose One Fine Day. And I remember just um, being A, really excited because rom-coms are my lane, obviously. But (laughs) B, I was with kind of strangers. I didn't know who these people were that were my cousins and relatives. And then thirdly is that um, 
I remember being in the theater and just like seeing other like teenagers making out in movie theaters. <laughs> and like, I think that was the first time I had seen that or observed that, oh, is this what people do in movie theaters? Is that they go and make out in the back? Um, but I remember walking away from this movie being like, oh, yeah, that was really cute. And I did actually revisit this movie recently. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's still really fun. And I do love the dynamic between Michelle Pfeiffer and George Clooney. I think they have great chemistry. They bounce off each other really, really well. And I have to say, I love the 90s-ness of this movie. That to me is yeah. like yeah. so amazing. This is one of the reasons why I love revisiting old movies is just I have a huge sucker for nostalgia. And the huge cell phones and all that just brought me some joy. And I, I lived in New York for a really, really long time. So that also was another big, huge plus for me. I love rom-coms that take place in New York. And I always wonder if those movies that do, play, that do take place in New York, if New York is supposed to be, you know, a third character. Mm -hmm. and, I, and for me, in One yeah. Fine Day, I, I do think it is. I think I read like one of the trivia points is that there were 44 different filming locations in Manhattan for this movie. And Amazing. that's wild. That's a lot of work, you know, obviously to, to pick up and move your sets and stuff like that. But I love how New York-y this, this movie is, from like the circle line to Michelle Pfeiffer telling the cab drivers which streets to go on during yeah. certain times of day. And I, I kind of identified. I was like, wow, this, this is really, really real life for single parents in the 90s too um i don't know i i uh, this movie hasn't aged well in many ways yeah <laughs> but it still made me chuckle and made me laugh and i i did really enjoy watching the banter on screen yeah no, absolutely it, yeah definitely it has that nostalgia for the 90s and just massively yeah it feels like a time you're in a time machine almost yeah. um Chris, where where did this film come from? Who who's the director on this? Who are the writers? Did they go on to do anything else? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a weird thing. I half expected this to be this to be one of those movies that I'd revisit and be like, oh yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, that person. But I, it's not. It's it's There's nobody it's right? like, except for the actors. Yeah, it's confusing uh, to be honest uh, in a number on a number of levels. So first of all, um, it was written by a screenwriter pair, uh, Terrell Seltzer and Ellen Simon, and they basically did little to nothing before they got their script. The only one they collaborated on together um, for one fine day. Uh, Seltzer had done. Um, some uh, script stuff on some Asian American uh, independent movies in the eighties. Uh, Chan is missing dim sum a little bit of heart and then uh, did a very small uh, comedy called how I got into college in 89, went to TV for a little bit and then came with one fine day. Whereas Simon did one episode, not even a script, a story credit for an episode of 30 something um, and then did moonlight and Valentino. Uh, which she also wrote the play of in 95, also still very under the radar, but a little less so than what Seltzer was up to. And for the director, they tapped uh, Michael Hoffman, who is probably best known as the director of Soap Dish, the 91 comedy with Whoopi Goldberg and Robert Downey Jr. Um, but other than that, he basically did nothing. He had a rom-com in 88 called Some Girls that uh, flopped horribly. He had a prestige drama that flopped in 95 called Restoration. So basically just on Soap Dish. And Soap Dish got way bigger on home video uh, than it ever was in the theater. So it's you know, one of those cases of the, the white guy falling upwards in Hollywood. And he uh, brings on, you know, one of the biggest 90s stars, Pfeiffer, and then also is in charge of like the transition from Clooney as TV star to film star um, with his second feature film um, leading role uh, after From Disc Till Dawn uh, that came out the same year. So it's like, what were, were they just like, trying like taking a gamble but then also like michelle said like they're they're heavily investing in uh you know securing the shooting locations all over manhattan some like iconic places like carnegie's deli and so like they're it, it probably doesn't didn't cost a much production wise but it definitely took a lot of effort to wrangle everything together 
so I'm curious what you think, Dan, what you think, Michelle, like, what do you think was kind of driving this? Is this just from the glut of rom-coms? It was produced by Linda Obst, who uh, came up in the 80s with Flashdance and Adventures in Babysitting, um, and also was executive producer on Sleepless in Seattle. And yeah. was that the kicker? Is it I think just kind of? I think that's your your key right there. Okay, you got the producer. I think there's probably some oral history of this movie out there somewhere. But uh, my guess is that when Linda got Pfeiffer and Clooney on board, like it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the script is kind of maybe even an afterthought. Um, you know, they may have you know wanted to bring someone to rewrite. It doesn't really matter at that point as long as you have the star power there. And the producer's going to basically shove the project forward no matter what. But I do kind of wonder, and you have this in our notes, like what the production budget was for this. Because uh, as Michelle stated, you know, shot in 44 locations in Manhattan. That's not cheap. Uh, and like, yeah. you know, you put Tin Cup as an example here. I think that's probably a pretty good corollary in terms of or a comparable film. $45 million production budget in 1986. I don't know. It feels like it's going to be up there. If you got Clooney and you got Michelle Pfeiffer, they're super expensive actors. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I think it probably was in at least the 40 to I probably say a little bit higher, like 50 to 55, 50 to 60. Maybe I couldn't find anything on that part of it, but it was not a cheap movie to make. So, um, you know, uh, once the producer, the producer was on though, they, they're thinking what they're thinking. We have Clooney, we have Pfeiffer, we have the producer from Sleepless in Seattle. This is going to be a hit, no matter what. Uh, I don't know. What are your, your thoughts on that, Michelle? Like, how do you think this thing kind of got off the ground? Because you, you were, you know, talking about rom coms forever. What do you think? Sort of the secret element was here. Yeah, um, I think I agree with you, Dan. Is that like, I think once they had Michelle Pfeiffer and George Clooney on board, like, I, I had to look back actually at George Clooney's like the timeline of his career because he's at the height of his ER fame at this point. Yeah, Is that right? True. So yeah, I think so, right? Yeah, and I, I also looked at Michelle Pfeiffer had also been nominated for three Academy Awards by this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. So these, as you mentioned, the, these are the I don't know if they're the most bankable stars in 1996, but they're definitely up there. So I do think that maybe it was like the chicken before the egg. Like we have these stars. I, I I do question though why not give this project to a more seasoned writer if you have yeah. such a list stars totally and yeah. also side note I saw that Michelle Pfeiffer is actually a producer on this film yeah executive producer yeah. Right. executive producer and I think this is the only feature that she's executive produced oh, so that's really? also kind of an interesting I don't know point as well like why this one film. Uh, she must have had a lot of either heart or, I don't know, f- financial investment in this film. <laughs> but then clearly, you know, it didn't bring the big bucks upon release. But here we are 25 years later still talking about it. It, it clearly like is has some sort of entertainment value. But yeah, I, I, I really don't know. That's That's a really surprising thing for me that there's a lot of, there's not a lot of information out there about the production of this movie, how much you know it costs to to make it yeah or how it came to be but i love this quote that you have in here chris under the conception part of our notes if i didn't have a son i wouldn't ever have made this movie (laughs) uh and that's the director does this feel like um one of those personal projects where you know hoffman you know just it came along the producer's like hey do you want to do this he probably, you know, how does it, you ask, how does this guy keep working? He's connected to the right people. Mm. Right. That's all. I mean, that's, that's it. Like there's just, he knows the right people. He's friends with the right people. It's, it's, it's his network that keeps him sort of getting work, even though he's not very, has never been a very successful director in general. Um, you know, thinking about that, uh, does the movie reflect that at all? If we, if we, if you think of like looking back on this, the weakest part of this film um especially in hindsight do we think it's the script or is it the direction what do we what do we stand on that you know or is it is it weak that's another question. <laughs> right 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 because yeah clearly well, that was a loaded question i mean <laughs> Michelle I and i are a little biased probably <laughs> just and just to be clear dan like when, when's the last, first time you s- came in contact with this this movie? is the first time i've ever seen this movie. oh, my oh wow okay so that's <laughs> okay. a very different uh approach yes. Yeah. yes yes and i would say it's definitely 
I, the thing that has stood out to me more than anything is someone I, I do like rom-coms. I enjoy them a lot. I love the convention of mm-hmm. rom-coms. I love how they decide to follow the formula and tweak the formula just a bit. Um, and so I'm a big fan. I was struggling. <laughs> oh, man. Like, really struggling. Yeah, um, I can, I can kind of see it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> but I'm wondering, you know, like, you know, looking back on it now, what are the things that that stand out to both of you where it's like, oh, this this worked really well? And what aspects of it do you think are just like, just don't work at all anymore? Like what sort of stands out to you as sort of being the the weak leg of this? You know, I I mean, I I think that there's probably some fault in both the script and the direction. Uh, but um, if I... So it's hard to say, to be honest, because I feel like one... Th- piece of this movie that probably really connected with me back then and probably still connects with me today is I'm realizing as we discuss, you know, the the kind of um workmanlike nature of rom-coms in the 90s, uh it almost feels in particular like like an all old Hollywood production. You've got Pfeiffer yeah. and Clooney kind of uh you know, saying quick barbs to each other. The editing, I think, is wonderful in this film. I think it's at such a fast clip. It really does uh, bring to life the, oh, you, you laugh at me. I'm going to go have this <laughs> I think, I, I just like, it's it's impressive, kind of like how, how impressed I was when I saw like uh, His Girl Friday for the first time, of yeah. just like that quick clip that mm-hmm. never lets up and it's just people talking to each other. And, it feels like somewhere between like uh, an episode of The West Wing and um, seeing like a, a play uh, on opening night, where it's just like there's this immediacy to it where you don't have to have a lot happening in the actual plot of the film because the stars are are carrying it so much. Um, but I can also see like if you don't have any nostalgia for it that you know the say it's a double-edged sword it's still it's it's just two people sniping at each other for mm-hmm. <laughs> for nearly two hours um but i i think that really works on some level i think i can see how worse this movie could have been if it was different leads i could see how worse this movie would have been if um it wasn't set in new york if it um didn't have uh that kind of tempo that kept you um interested in what was going to happen next even if it was ham-handed or predictable um i don't know i i think that there's a lot to be said for um less is more especially in today's age like i f- i feel almost overwhelmed uh when i you know turn on a movie that's made recently because it feels yeah. like there's so many things to keep track of and to have wash over me but in in this, it felt like a kind of a return to simplicity kind of thing. Like it's a good, just... a, a good way to wash out army yeah. of the dead, which we oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the antithesis of army from the dead. Michelle, I'm mm-hmm. interested to, you know, how, where would you put this in terms of like, well, first of all, would you uh, categorize this as a certain type of rom-com? Do you, is like a, is there a certain mm. sort of just New York rom-com or like, single parent rom-com is there like a category that you would lump this into that's and a really like, good, sorry yeah no go ahead yeah keep going. No, i was gonna say that's a really good question i i've never really categorized rom-coms which maybe is something i should do um <laughs> I, I i think when i think one fine day i honestly think 90s you know yeah. I, I i just think this is really epitomizes the 90s it, in the fashion and the way the the new york was um and also you know i kind of came of age in the 90s you know so this i think you know i know dan you don't have the historical nostalgia for this movie as chris and i do but yeah it it kind of transports you and i don't know rom-coms are i I know it's a genre that most people love to hate on but i think deep down a lot of people just love them and are afraid to say they love them um i think you know i it's really entertaining to see two attractive people banter back and forth and chris you mentioned it's kind of like the west wing where it's just all talk 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 and you're absolutely right i didn't really realize that but i 
also love the West Wing. So when you said that, I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, And I agree with you and everything that you said about old Hollywood and comparing it to His Girl Friday. And it was just kind of, and again, I'm, I'm just agreeing with you is that this movie doesn't work without George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer. I, you know, so much charisma, so much charm they ooze on screen. And without them, this doesn't work. So I forgot what the question was. I apologize. <laughs> well, I was going to, I was going to ask, I, I'm kind of interested to see like, where would you put this? Like maybe even like quality wise Got it. or like not to rank it or anything like that, but do you feel like it's one of the better rom-coms that you've seen? Is it kind of middling or is it kind of on the lower end? I'm going to say it's low to mid. Oh, interesting. I don't Why think, is that? I don't think it's a great rom-com, um, even though I do like this movie. <sighs> what, well, what makes a great rom-com to you? Like, what do you think, <laughs> you know, like what, what elements really are the, like the spark? Oh, man, that's such a good question. And I, I've never really been able to fully articulate so much because it's such a feeling I have. Yeah. Um, I think chemistry between the stars is necessary if you're going to do a rom-com where all we do is just see two people fall in love with each other. So chemistry, I think, is really important. That makes a really good rom-com. Um, I think believability um, yeah. and almost relatability, which I kind of don't really want to say, but I think so much of rom-coms and why they succeed is because we as people see ourselves in them um, and, or we want to see ourselves in them. Like we want to fall in love the way that they fall in love. And Mm -hmm. this whole notion of meet cutes and finding your person and looking across the room and locking eyes with, you know, a very attractive person who finds you attractive as well. These are all things that I think make a good rom-com, but I want to say a good script is obviously important. Yeah. However, I will say that a lot of rom-coms <laughs> lack this. Yeah. But I'm thinking of really good rom-coms, right? Like 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. Um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts or, or relationship with that film is, but that to me was a hugely original film. Uh, really interesting in the way that they told that, quote, not love story. Yeah. But... I don't know. I think the reason why some people love rom-coms is just where, where and when they saw it in their lives and how it might have yeah. shaped their perspective on love, which sounds yeah. so dramatic to say, but as someone who watched a lot of rom-coms growing up, it definitely shaped my view on love. And I, I think that can be true for a lot of the friends I talk to on my, on my, rom- on my podcast as well, is that if you watch something at a certain time in life, it really shapes you who you are and maybe the outlook and how you treat love. Oh yeah. I think that's a hundred percent true. And I think what's interesting is like you bring up relatability Mm -hmm. as like a key aspect of, you know, maybe what makes a rom-com really successful or not. That's one of the questions that like popped up for me in this, you know, it's a New York centric (laughs) film. Which, you know, everybody romanticizes New York City. Mm-hmm. But these characters, right. do we feel like <laughs> they're relatable? Like, she's an architect, like every person oh in a 90s movie. Love it. Uh, how many architects? <laughs> I mean, I don't <laughs> And he's a news reporter. Um, those don't, those are like not fantasy jobs. Obviously, they exist. Um, but like, they're not super common jobs. Do we find that like th- these characters specifically were relatable? I would say, you know, for me, not really all that much. And here's here's the thing that sticks out to my head. And this is going to sound really ridiculous and maybe petty. Uh, when are they working in this movie? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, the, the, the architect model or whatever. <laughs> like, when are they actually doing work? And I get it's a movie, whatever. But, like, that to me was sort of stood out. I was like, like, I'm on my computer, like eight hours a day nine hours a day straight <laughs> <laughs> like i'm not like running around doing stuff or errands during the day when i'm working and it's like there is um there's that phone call she has with her sister and how her sister is like she's the ceo of the household 
Oh, yeah. And this could bring us yeah. into the gender politics of what's going on in this film, <laughs> which is a, a minefield. Uh, let's make no mistake about that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Do you guys think that they're relatable characters? And if so, if not, does that change the the maybe quality of the the rom comness that's going on here? Um, I mean, I think I think Pfeiffer's character is a lot more relatable than Clooney's. I think that there's definitely a fantasy element involved in all rom coms, but and it's especially kind of a exaggerated here to maximum effect but i do think it it mostly works for me anyways because uh while it's definitely a co-billing of you know Clooney and pfeiffer i think it's just edged a bit towards pfeiffer um i mean she's the one that is still awake at the end uh before they fall asleep together on the couch um and so i think that that uh really helps to kind of situate her in a sympathetic way but Clooney is just like like I kind of said earlier it's he he, the whole point of the film is to change his uh vibe from jerky cocky guy Mm -hmm. to uh you know realizing that he needs to uh kind of grow up a little bit it's the man child thing that was interesting because that wasn't really a a phenomenon until like knocked up in the apatow verse right Mm -hmm. but that's definitely heavily uh um at least especially in the first act of the film um but then there's all like you said it's the gender politics because then so much of it is focused on uh pfeiffer needing to you know delegate more or trust people more and it just feels like I don't know. It, it it feels messy to the point where um, it definitely doesn't want you to uh, really give an inch, um, especially probably in that like big sparring match towards the end where they're like literally saying themes to each other about <laughs> relationships <laughs> and marriages. Uh, but I think that in the end, uh, like I said, the with any other actors, you would you. You wouldn't be able to get to that fantasy. You wouldn't be able to ed, uh, live in that fantasy for temporarily for the duration of the film. I don't know what it, I would be curious to hear. What you think, Michelle, from um, uh, the point of view of someone who's lived in New York and somebody uh, who has been watching and kind of piecing apart these kinds of movies for so long and maybe more in depth than Dan and I ever have. <laughs> Don't discredit yourself, guys. <laughs> um, you know, I I do think like I do want to go back to one thing you said, Dan, is about like these careers that these people have is yeah. so tropey, but I like love it. <laughs> um, I don't know why. It just always makes me chuckle. It's always like the woman who works in food or the man who, yeah, usually is an architect, but I guess yes. this time it's kind of flipped, right? They yeah, they reversed it. they made uh, Melanie, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, I think off the bat, she's depicted, right? Like as the strong, independent, we, we assume she's fearless woman, but obviously deep down, we all have insecurities. And I love that we get to see her messy apartment at the end, but, (laughs) um, relatability I think is really important. And, um, but I, I, I also think that the opposite is true. Like it's also aspirational. Um, So, you know, as a young person watching rom-coms, you're like, oh, love could be this way, which again goes back to why I I mentioned like love shapes the way, or these movies shape the way that we might view and think about love. Um, I I also wanted to talk about a little, or mention, I guess, I know one of the prompts you have here is that like there's a rom-coms or are predictable or formulaic right hang on one second yeah how much formula do you want in your rom-com i apologize if i'm skipping ahead um go for it but i think for me um i do want formula in my rom-com which might be a bad thing to admit but i think that's just the genre of rom-coms also which is why so many of us lean into them is because we want that comfort we want that uh predictability we know we want we want to sit on the couch with that that blanket that covers our toes as you mentioned in the beginning of this chris you know like it's indulgent and silly 
but yet here we are. We it, the rom coms kind of speak to who we are uh, at the heart, you know. Which again sounds really dramatic, but love is messy, love is hard, and I think a lot of these films, and this one in particular, also it does bring you some hopefulness at the end. Yeah. So, and I think that's why I I don't you know box office numbers. This movie did not do well successfully, no. but I think. I'm sure there are people out there who love this movie. Um, oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. But, it's 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 yeah. funny you say that like that comfort, like the formula part of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love rom coms. I also love Lifetime Christmas movies. <laughs> no, Hallmark is whatever, like both of the channels. They're both fine. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love the ABCD. I just I love the paint by numbers of those films because yeah. it's just there's something it's so comforting. You can you know the plot, and there's just a there's an enjoyment and comfort out of that roteness almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually one of the reasons why I didn't like this movie that much because it had certainly the tropes there, but there's a couple of things that, that work against it. It's a single day. Mm-hmm. So we can only see a little bit of transformation in the characters over that not even 24 hour period. Um, so that works against it a bit. It does propel the movie forward and give it motion, but there's not a lot of change happening uh, with the characters. At the end, it kind of feels pretty slight. Like at the end, yeah, they're together in her apartment, and you know they're you know literally on the couch falling asleep together. But it doesn't really feel like they've climbed a mountain, if you will. Like they haven't really overcome anything. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think to me, that's what really, uh, you know, you want those characters to hit a home run and here they hit like a single. And you're mm. like, oh, this is cool and great. But no, I want to see them like develop and, you know, get married or be partners, whatever they want to do and see that sort of blossom. And we never see that. It's just like, almost like a slice of life rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the things where it's sort of like it, it doesn't have the grandiosity. The, the city's there. And like the stakes feel like they should be there, but it doesn't play out that way. It feels like a pretty small victory for both of these characters. And I wonder, you know, upon release, uh, like Michelle, you mentioned, it did not do that well. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it made 43 or $46 million at the box office back then. And I will note, no international release whatsoever, mm-hmm. just domestic, which is even strange for back then. Um, because at least it would go to year or something like this. That's no, nothing at all. And I kind of wonder why that is. Um, I don't know if they didn't think, I mean, these are both very bankable stars, I think internationally. Right. So why, you know, and then we also get some notes about, and Clooney kind of revealed this in a recent interview. I think it was a couple of <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Um, he mentions that Michelle Pfeiffer was a producer and Pfeiffer basically says, um, this thing tested extremely well so well that they moved up the release uh and they kind of got put in a bad spot they weren't able to do a lot of press and it didn't really do all that well upon release what did it do opening weekend six million opening weekend it had had great legs but it opened so low that it couldn't really make up uh the cash that it needed to to be a success the big question is what happened i mean you can blame the the bad press cycle kind of the release date or whatever those are producer excuses at the end of the day if something's good and it connects with people it's going to succeed why did this not succeed back then in 1996 like what was it about the film specifically that you don't think really connected with audiences at that time you know i think one important detail you're right we can't just blame marketing and what have you but this movie came out a week after Jerry Maguire. Mm. Oh. And so like that's yeah, that's yeah, got to yeah. eat at so much of that potential. So like I don't know what they're thinking they were just completely discounting like a Tom Cruise vehicle, but I I don't know. That's that's a very strange move on behalf of the studio. But I also think that uh you know it was still in this time period um kind of a gamble to try to turn a TV star into a movie star, right? Mm, good point. And this is a this is a very different uh audience than From Dust Till Dawn. I don't even know if From Dust Till Dawn was technically a wide release um yeah. earlier that year. Um and Michelle Pfeiffer, while definitely one of the biggest stars of the 90s, I think she was partially on her downslope at this point, uh popularity-wise. 
She had a, another hit that same year, Up Close and Personal, which is arguably even more forgotten than One Fine Day. Uh, and also a, a huge bomb and a bigger bomb than uh, One Fine Day to Jillian on her 37th birthday. Um, but Dangerous Minds came out the previous year, which is arguably her biggest role, her most iconic role anyways, right? Maybe tied with Catwoman. Um, and then she had kind of, it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, not that she ended up becoming a supporting actor the next decade for the most part, yeah. um, other than What Lies Beneath and Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, which was with the same director, by the way. Uh, but you don't have really, yes, you have bankable stars, but you don't have like sure bets um, like you do with Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire, I don't think. Yeah. And if I may, I, I think you bring up a really good point, Chris, is that like, Michelle Pfeiffer, looking at her IMDb, she hasn't, or it doesn't look like she did a whole lot of comedy. Right. Uh, I think yeah. she's really excelled in doing her dramatic roles. And as you mentioned, at this time, it wasn't a thing for TV to cross over into film, like, you know, George Clooney inevitably did many years later, successfully, I guess. You know, he tried with this and like Batman and Batman and Robin didn't really do so well. But I think this is also the first time we see him in a comedy role. So maybe, I don't know, the public just wasn't willing to or ready to see these two stars in this type of vehicle. And Dan, you you mentioned also like this film taking place in one day and we don't get a lot of story development or character development. Everything we see is just boxed into 20, you know, less than 24 hours. And I was kind of reflecting on this a little bit because I think that compared to today, we as an audience, I think we're so much more savvy now. Like we want Mm -hmm. more depth. We want that story arc. We want, you know, all these mini series are now 10 episodes long where they probably could have been an hour and a half, two hour long movie. Yeah. But I think that it's so 90s in that sense. It's that we don't have all that depth um, that we get to see on screen. So I think that this was maybe the easy way out in terms of the script was let's just make it a day and be done with it. Well, I think that was probably a selling point because this is like, it kind of feels a little bit postmodern and they're like, Oh yeah. Single day. This will be great. This is, I I guarantee that was a selling point uh, with the producer and stuff like, Oh, this is unique. It's different. Mm -hmm. That's what producers are. It's different. It has a unique style. Um, I just think, I don't know. It just feels like they shoot themselves in the foot with it because it's like, you just can't do all that much in a single day. Um, and, you know, I think another thing too about the release, uh, and Chris, I had no idea that Jerry Maguire came out right before this. It was also a holiday release. Yeah, yeah. Does this work as a holiday movie? Like, this does not seem like a holiday movie at all to me. Yeah, this should have been a spring release. I mean, it does not take a a, a, a box office analyst to figure that out i don't think right um, i would agree with you on that that is very very strange yeah because they could could they have shoehorned in like that it took place near christmas and instead of goldfish it was like uh, a, a christmas <laughs> present or something maybe but it's raining constantly not it's snowing true <laughs> true, right. true, so true it takes place in spring exactly so like uh yeah i mean they they would have had to yeah retcon the setting if they were if they wanted to make this a holiday release, there are some movies that like surpass that where it doesn't need to take place Mm -hmm. on Christmas to be released on Christmas and still be successful. But this does not seem like one of those. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, I mean the, yeah, the critics kind of were like what 51% Ron tomatoes. They didn't love it. Mm -hmm. The audience score was a cinema score of a B plus, which is okay for something they see you want like an a minus a would be successful. Uh, But B plus is not terrible um letterbox score right now is a 62 which is decent to the bad scale so it doesn't really have a following among film snobs in the <laughs> art film aficionados um i mean the big question i have you know and one of the reasons i think you picked this chris and one of the reasons we wanted to have you on michelle is to sort of talk about rom-coms from like a bigger perspective and like where they've been and where they've gone and this is clearly um kind of a, a middle of the road i would say at least in my opinion uh, 90s rom-com it has all sort of the elements that you would expect uh, it has the ending that you expect it, it plays really well to some of the formula i'm kind of wondering 
you know, where does this stand in terms of the history of rom-com and where has rom-com been over the last sort of decade or so? Because we were looking at like, you know, box office receipts and the number of rom-coms made. And this is a genre that kind of fell off a cliff Mm -hmm. uh, about 10 years ago. And it's just not popular anymore. So maybe this is a good question for you, Michelle. You know, why do you think that happens? Like why? And this one wasn't so successful, but there were tons of rom-coms that were successful back then. Um, I think the biggest one ever is what my big frat Greek wedding uh, in 2002. What do you think happens since then? Like what is what was there for audiences back then that they enjoyed and loved that maybe is not there anymore? Why do you think that the, the box office for these films has just dramatically fallen off? Uh, that's a really good question. And I've thought about this a little bit because I think what happened back in like the early aughts, because there was a string of really successful rom-coms in like the mid to late 90s, the early aughts. But if I'm just being honest, and if I could just put this plainly, is that I think the yeah. writing got really lazy. <laughs> I think like it started talking down to the audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that's probably one of the big reasons why a lot of people just started writing rom-coms off. It became so predictable where you have, if you see Matthew McConaughey being billed on a rom-com, you're like, (laughs) okay, I guess, you know, whatever. You're not, maybe not that excited to see it. You might go see it, but is it going to stick with you and change your life? Probably not. And I think anyone who's going into those theaters or seeing those movies already knows what they're getting themselves into. But, you know, I think recently with Netflix and more streaming services, rom-coms are back on the rise again, for better or for worse. You know, I'm going to take it for the better, though, because I'm excited to see new stories being told, more representation being shown. And I think with online dating being so big, you know, and grown over the past 10 years-ish, there's probably more stories to tell. But I will say, though, those kinds of stories, I feel, aren't really in the traditional rom-com sense. They're kind of being told in stories of, like, Master of None. Yeah. If you guys have seen that show. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit... Um, uh, what's the word? It, it's it's smart, you know, which, I, as I mentioned, I think the downfall of rom-coms is just that they've been lazy in writing. Uh, people want to laugh and to find love aspirational for those who don't have love. And I think that those bad movies that came out, they just weren't aspirational. They maybe weren't even, you know, they probably weren't that funny. They didn't touch your your heart and make yeah. you feel emotional. So I think the good ones, like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, it was an original story and it's a new story that most of us hadn't seen before. It's told through the eyes of a Greek American. And I think the reason why that movie did so well was A, it was funny, B, it was something new, and C, it was like, yes, it's a Greek family, but I also identify with that. I am not Greek, but you kind of just find so much relatability again. And I think that that's why certain rom-coms really succeed um, in that space. Do you, um, do you have any recent rom-coms that you would recommend for people (laughs) to see like on Netflix or anything that came out in theaters, like anything in the last, we'll say the last 10 years. Oh boy. Um, Anything that pops into your head. Sure, I really liked Palm Springs. That was really fun. Oh, yes, loved it. <laughs> Absolutely so loved good. It. Yeah, it was really funny. I mean, you know, like the story was Groundhog Day esque. You know, nothing really yeah. new, but it was really smart in the way it told that story. Mm-hmm. Um, another film that I really liked is I, I'm laughing because I I don't know if it should be on this list, but yeah. uh, set it up on Netflix. Oh yeah, if you oh, guys yeah. haven't seen it or yeah, have you seen it? seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. I have not seen it. That's good. That I would recommend solid. it. Do you, did you like it, Dan? I did like it. Yeah, I thought okay. it was pretty solid. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, for Titus that. Burgess. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a fresh. You know, like the story itself wasn't totally new, um, but I think that they really brought some modern elements to it. And I'm gonna say it. You know, there's some people of color in this movie, which is something that I talk about <laughs> on yeah. on my podcast. It's a it's a genre that just only features white people yeah. historically, mm-hmm. and 
um you know then i guess I'll, I'll also say to all the boys i love before which i've obviously aged out of that story but <laughs> i'm very excited that that did so well at least the first film i'm really glad that that really kind of put rom-coms kind of back on the map in in a way um i would love to hear what you have coming up on your podcast like what are some episodes you can kind of tease for us oh yeah um so actually in the middle of doing a trilogy of the drew barrymore and adam sandler films oh nice so just released wedding singer this week i'm releasing 51st dates and then the following week i'm releasing blended interesting oh, yeah. i forgot about that one. <laughs> oh my gosh i feel like that one might be a little bit of a rough watch from what i remember i don't know i can't remember it that you're well. not wrong you're not wrong <laughs> i love that you're diving into it though like that's the best part about doing this sort of stuff is like look i don't love this movie uh yeah. but it's like fun to explore and dissect why mm-hmm. i almost have more fun with the movies i don't like than the movies i do love because when we have a movie we love, like, oh yeah, I love this. And it's right. like, okay. Yeah. That's, that's like what else you're going to talk, talk about. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Um, well, Michelle, we appreciate you uh, being on the podcast. Uh, you've been a fantastic guest. Uh, if you ever want to have us on, just, you know, let us know. Absolutely. Uh, we'd love to come on and talk about <laughs> rom-coms with you. Um, Chris, do you have any closing thoughts about One Fine Day? Because this is, this is your baby. This is your, <laughs> this is your thing. Let it, what do we what do we need to get out of this movie if you haven't seen it yet or haven't watched it in a long time? <sighs> um put you on the spot. I love it. Yeah, I know. It it total <laughs> I'm always bad at these wrap-up moments. I I I can't encapsulate it, but it's like it's a nostalgia factory for sure, but I think that if there's anything that um really still worked for me on an objective level, I think that if you have any kind of affinity for that kind of like workmanlike pace of the uh rom-coms starring uh Jimmy Stewart and who have um whoever have you from the 40s and 50s uh there's there's some semblance of it here and that's more than you can say for the vast majority of romantic comedies from the for the past 3 decades and it all comes back to comfort and if you're okay with the comfort not being 100% um then it'll 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 get you through uh, a couple hours it'll help you escape for a couple hours without having to like <laughs> entrench yourself in horrible violence uh like army of the dead. <laughs> what a great sell it's not army of the dead so yeah you're gonna, <laughs> so you're gonna love it oh, and it's streaming God. on hulu now so yeah check, yeah, it, check out. it on hulu it's basically free uh one thing michelle i forgot to to ask you where can people find your podcast Oh, yeah, we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, we are Romcom Weekly. Nice. And then your Twitter is like at Romcom Weekly, right? Uh, I have a Twitter account, but I'm not an active tweeter. <laughs> I, need to, I need to get on that. <laughs> well, uh, anyways, definitely check out our podcast. It is fantastic. Uh, this has been Film Choice. Next week, uh, it is my choice. We're doing the new Conjuring movie. Uh, the Conjuring, <sighs> the Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, Chris, are you excited about this or not? Yes or no? I am not. Yes or yes. Yes or yes. <laughs> uh, it's the opposite a... of one fine day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We're trying to do something really different. We're trying different. to go back and forth. Uh, so <laughs> that'll be out on HBO Max and in theaters uh, this weekend. So check it out and then listen next week uh, to our, the next episode of Film Trace. Thanks for listening. Bye.